David came to Nob to Amalek the priest. And Amalek was afraid when he met David and said, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Amalek the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you and what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young man to such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young man have at least kept themselves from women, and then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread but the show bread which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Amalek, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one there. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another and dance, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, do you see? This man is insane. Title of the sermon. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of this madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Here we are once again in the story. If you're joining us for the first time, let me bring you up to speed. So God created Adam and Eve. I'm just kidding. There's some big players in this story, okay? King of Saul, or King Saul, who's the king of Israel. David, who's the soon-to-be king of Israel, okay? Saul seems to always be chasing after David to kill him. Uh, David, up until this point, has been described as a man after God's own heart who's been making some really good decisions, But there's some pretty big things that David does in this portion of Scripture that are really, really bad. There just are. I mean, if, and I know that for some of you, as I'm reading it, your mind goes beep and start thinking of something else. But clue in here, man. This story, there was some stuff that was going on that was really, really bad. The The first thing that happens in this story is that David is fleeing from Saul and he goes and he finds this priest Amalek. And so he goes to the priest Amalek. And then he has an opportunity to interact with him. And Amalek kind of looks at him. He's like, and, and it's funny, Amalek kind of gives him the out a little bit because he, he, Amalek knows what's going on, but he says to David, he's like, hey man, why, why are you here? Aren't you supposed to be with the king? Isn't there something? I'm, I'm surprised. Here you are with the king. He's kind of giving him an opportunity to tell the truth. But David lies. David lies. He lies to the priest and says, no, nah, I'm, uh, I'm on the king's business. That's what I'm doing, Right? It's interesting, David's running from the king, he goes into the temple, the place where the man of God is, 
He's given an opportunity to find the protection and peace that he's looking in the tabernacle of God at the feet of the man of God. And instead of being honest with him about where he's at, what he's doing, what he's going with, going through, so that the man of God can help him in the tabernacle, he chooses to lie. He lies before him and says, no, 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 I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the king's business. See, the priest more than likely has heard that David is on the lamb. He's trying to see what's up. David should have told him the truth. David should have said, I'm on the run. Saul's trying to kill me. That's why I'm here. I'm, I'm running. I, I need protection. I need, I need you to help me. But no, David chooses to lie. Think about it, man. The priest is in the protection, in the place to protect him. What if David would have just said to the priest, like, hey, man, I, 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 I'm, I'm afraid. Can you protect me? The priest could have said, you know what? I understand that he's the king, but I'm the priest. I got a whole lot of priests. We got a whole lot of clout. We got a whole lot of power. We're going to solve this thing. We're going to take care of you. But no, he lies. David chooses to lie and to protect himself. See, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible actually speaks against lying. Even people that aren't Christians, people that don't read their Bibles, even the common man doesn't appreciate people lying. The Bible says in Leviticus 19.11, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. See, Matthew Henry, one of the commentators, said this about this interaction. He said, David had great faith and courage, yet both failed him. He fell thus foully through fear and cowardice, owing to the weakness of faith. This is the guy that killed Goliath. This is the guy that has been chosen by God to be the next king. And and this guy in this moment where he could tell the truth, he chooses to lie. So he's before the priest, he's with his guys, and he's hungry. So he says, priest, what you got to eat, man? What you got? Priest says, we're out of chicken, we're out of ribs, ain't got no hot links, got nothing. priest says, I only got one thing, and it's the showbread. Now, what's the showbread? The the, the showbread, because our God is a God of bread, and all the carb eaters said amen, and you you can keto whatever you want, but the Bible is a Bible of bread. It's interesting, in the temple, in the, in the tabernacle, God, the creator of the universe, demanded, demanded that fresh bread would be made every single week. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> and that you would have to play, literally, it's in the Bible, the, the Levites, the priests, would have to bake 12 fresh loaves of bread every single week before God. The 12 loaves would represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And that they would, the, the bread would actually be before God. God demanded it. He said in Exodus 25, 30, And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. It was a, a demand of God. God said, no keto for me, give me the carbs. That's what he said. I'm just preaching the truth here. And then at the end of the week, the priests, hallelujah, would eat the bread consume it, and only the Levites could consume the bread. Showing that they were Levites. Now, it's interesting, a little side note here. 
David ate the bread, and he wasn't a Levite, but he was in the line of Judah, the same line as Christ. We're not going that direction. I will say it, though. In the, in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the bread of? Life. Bread of life. You serve a God of bread, man. Make no mistake about it. <laughs> Leviticus 24, 8 and 9 makes it very clear that only the priests are allowed to eat this bread. But God showed David mercy in this instance that he didn't strike him down dead. He wasn't, but, but, but make no mistake, and I know I'm, I'm taking this opportunity to kind of poke at keto a little bit. It's kind of fun, but <laughs> the, the point of the story isn't that. The point of the story is that David was disobedient in eating yeah. the showbread. Yeah. He shouldn't have ate it. God showed him mercy, and he allowed it to happen, but it wasn't God's ideal. It was wrong. It was not for him. It wasn't his bread. It was a bread for God and for the priests. It wasn't for him. God forgave it, but it's not his ideal. So he goes in, he lies, he takes the bread that's not his, and then the next thing that he does that isn't that good as well is that he says to the priest, he says, hey man, I'm on the run, I'm running from Saul, I'm scared, I don't know what I can do. What kind of swords you guys got in this joint? What, what do you have that, that can protect me? Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about this point in the story because how do you go from the guy that's chosen by God who killed Goliath with a slingshot, who stood up to the Philistines, to the guy that says, now I'm scared, can I get a sword? How, how, how does that happen? Explain to me, David, how you, the chosen one, you, the, 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 the magnificent fighter that killed lion and killed bear, killed Goliath, and now there's some earthly king that's chasing after you, and you've totally and completely lost belief in God's ability to protect you, guide you, and save you, and now you're asking the priest, what kind of sword do you have that I can protect myself? Interestingly enough, in the place of belief that he was where he killed Goliath, now in his place of unbelief, he has to take the sword of the enemy that, had, that he had taken before and now is using it as his protection. He's lost his faith. He's lost his faith in God and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in the, in, the, in, the, in the sword of my enemy more than I'm going to trust in God himself. Who is he trusting? Is he trusting God or is he trusting his own strength? Jeremiah 17, 7 said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Now David eventually learned, you can read in a lot of the Psalms, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. But that's not happening right now. It's an act of unbelief that he takes the sword. It's an act of unbelief that he's not trusting God to protect him from Saul. He's in effect saying, God, I've been trusting you, but now I'm putting the, the strength in my own hand to protect myself. I'm not, I'm not going to trust you anymore. I'm going to trust myself. Mind you, you've protected me to this point, but I'm going to protect myself at this point. So he lies to the priest. He eats the bread that's not his. He takes the sword of Goliath to protect himself. And then the story really starts to get good. Because in this story, there's a, it says there's a guy named E. e I call him E-Dog. It's not E-Dog, though. Doeg. It's my dyslexia. It's E-Dog. But it's Doeg. So Doeg the Edomite is there, and Doeg the Edomite was actually a was actually known by Saul, and, and he was able to be in a position to tell Saul what was going on with David. And so what does David do in this instance? He says, okay, I, I've lied, I've taken something that's not mine, I'm not trusting God because I've got Goliath's sword, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down and I'm going to hang out with the enemy, right? 
So the king of Achish is a Philistine king. And, and David says, all right, so now where's the greatest place I can go to find protection? I can find it with the camp of my enemies. You, do you not remember all these sermons? And I'll bring you up to speed. Philistines are bad. Okay? Philistines, enemy of Israel. Philistines have nothing to do with these people. Philistines serve false gods. Philistines serve pagan gods. Philistines, I mean, this, these are the people that worship Dagon, right? I mean, they're, they're horrible people. And David chooses to go down and find protection with the enemy. Help, help me understand this. How do you go from defeating the enemy to sleeping with the enemy? Why don't you go find comfort with your own people? Why don't, why don't you go find comfort with the nation of Israel? You, you led armies, David. You led armies. You, you were, you were a, a valiant leader, and now you're going to, to, to hang out with the enemy? The king of Gath is a sworn enemy of Israel, and now David is going to find protection there. Oh, David. You lie. You take the bread, you take the sword, you go and sleep with the enemy, and you'd think it couldn't even get worse, but it just even gets worse, man. Come on. So then he goes down there, and I don't know if he has a moment of like, what have I just done? Lying, stealing, cheating, sorting. I'm in the camp of the enemies. How am I going to get out of this one? I've got an idea. I'm going to act insane. I'm going to crawl. I'm going to scratch the walls. And I'm going to have saliva drooling yeah. off my beard. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Great plan. This is really good. <laughs> An insane man with saliva drooling off of his beard. David loses his marbles here, man. I mean, can, can, you, can you just picture the soon triumphant king into... <laughs> That, that's, what, that, that's, what, that's what he's become. It's, it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Like even if you're with the enemy, like shut, you've, you've got the sword of Goliath. Can't you go out swinging, kill the king of, Ga, of, 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 of Gath? Is it Gath or Akish? Akish of Gath. Can't you kill that guy? Show, this is the turnaround moment, David. Nope. Insane saliva dripping off his beard. It's going to act crazy. And what's interesting is that he acts crazy, and the king of Akish actually has a moment where he's like, man, I don't think I can even kill this dude. That would whew, be mean if I killed this guy. Why, why do we have this crazy man in my presence? Just get him away from me. I don't want anything to do with this crazy man. So what do we do with this chapter? You know, I, I love being a pastor, and, and uh, for a guy that really didn't enjoy going to college, I should have really thought through this idea that I have to study every single week and write a paper. <laughs> I was not a good student. I did not love it. I should have thought through this fact of like, because here's how it works, right? We say, let's go through a book of the Bible, and I'll pray, and God will say First Samuel, and I don't really kind of go through and read it in detail to the point of trying to figure out what I'm going to preach. I don't even know what 22 is going to look like next week. I've read it before, but I'm not thinking about 22. I'm in 21. And I certainly wasn't thinking about 21 when I was in 20. So we open up on, I usually look at it on Sunday night and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I'm like, I'm looking at this thing thinking, what, what are we going to do with this? Like what happened to David? Come on, man. 
he was king and woo, we're winning and he's a man after God's own heart and I'm up here saying to you, be like David. Not this week. Don't be like David this week. No, 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 okay? The don'ts in this story are very, very obvious, okay? Don't be a liar. Don't lie, okay? Don't do that. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't go in and eat something that's not yours, that's holy. Be holy, okay? Don't, don't trust in the enemy's sword. Trust in God. Do not go down to the enemy's camp. Don't do that. Don't go hang out with the enemy if you're looking for protection. And for the love of God, do not act insane. Scratch the walls and let drool come out of your face, okay? Let's cover the don'ts. Because in this story, in this moment, David has failed God. He's failed him, man. Make no, make no mistake. This is, a, this is not a good story about David at all. He's failed himself. He's failed Israel. He's failed his family. And he has, in this instance, ruined his good name. He's ruined his good name. Like, he's going to go and try to be king of Israel after this. People are like, weren't you there? Like, wasn't that you? How, how, let's be honest, how can a man like this be trusted to lead God's people? How can he be trusted after this point? He's shown his character. This is that moment where years from now people are like, do you remember the drooling thing though? Do you, do you remember that? Do you remember the sword thing and the bread thing and the lying thing? Do you remember that? I ain't following David. He ain't my king. Hashtag not my king. The truth is, is that some of the most powerful, influential people of God in the Bible fell into some of the most grievous sins. That, 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 like if you, if, you re, if you read your Bible, you see this, man. The greatest people that God used in the Bible fell into some of the most grievous sins. So what do we do with that, man? What is this scripture telling us this morning? Now, this is the first thing I believe that the scripture is telling us this morning, is that the Bible is real. This is the realest book that you will ever read in your life. The Bible is real. It is, the, it is inerrant. It is, it is the word of God to us. It is to be trusted. You can stake your whole entire life and existence on the word of God. Many people who argue with the Bible argue against its authenticity based on the stories of failure in the Bible, right? I mean, Moses was a murderer, there's this lady, Tamar, that prostituted herself and slept with her father-in-law. Tamar is listed in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I mean, these are these people that had great, huge failures. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, used to kill Christians. Peter denied Christ. Jonah was disobedient. I could go on. There's many stories of failure in the Bible. Now, here's what I believe is I believe that if the writers of the Bible, the dozens of them that wrote over thousands of years that wrote the Bible, were somehow colluding with each other and trying to coerce a bunch of people to die to self, serve God, and love other people, which seems very weird, if they're trying to use this Bible and write this Bible as a, as a tool of coercion, why, why would they include all the stories that painted all, all, of our, all of our people in a really bad light? Because if I'm writing the Bible, if I'm there and we're sitting with the scribes and I'm going or whatever, I'm like, hey, God, let's, let's not include this part. Let's rip it out. We'll just rip, we'll just rip it out. We'll just throw it away. We're trying to make David look good here, aren't we, guys? 
let's just rip it out. Let's, it, well, there's other, we haven't even got to Bathsheba. You don't know the story of Bathsheba. David's going to send another woman's husband into battle to die so he can have relations with some other guy's wife. Rip that part out. <laughs> Peter denying Jesus, we'll just, we'll just black that out. We don't need to include that. That's what, that's what I would have done. If I'm writing the Bible to inspire fakery and coercion, I'm painting the Bible people as perfect. I'm writing a Bible that says everybody else is perfect. You should be perfect as well. They made no mistakes. They did nothing wrong. You should do nothing wrong. And if you're doing something wrong, you are wrong. See, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.20 that knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. For me, I'm not including that one of the greatest kings of Israel, described as a man after God's own heart, was a failure. He was a failure. But what can we take from this? The Bible is true. It's one of the greatest indications to me that the Bible is true. Secondly, what we can grab from this story is this, is that men are sinful. Even the best of us can fall into sin. None of us are safe. This is the king of Israel. This is God's anointed one. This is God's chosen one. And he fell into sin. We all make bad decisions. Even the most pious amongst us. See, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That's all inclusive. Every single one of us, myself included, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8 says that if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's what the Bible says. This here is the central theme of the Bible. The central theme of the Bible is that men are sinful and need a redeemer. That's the the central theme of the Bible, is that men left to themselves do not do well. Now listen, when I say men, I mean it in an all-inclusive sense, okay? (laughs) Men and female, right? Be like, what about the male and female, everybody men? It's just how it is. Only through the Holy Spirit can a man be holy. A man needs redemption. He needs to be saved. He needs to be forgiven. Even kings and statesmen and leaders need redemption. The other thing we can get from the scripture is that God does not agree with sin. He doesn't. The sins of the people and in the Bible were not authored by God. Understand this, what the Bible describes is not always what the Bible prescribes. But because the Bible is true and the, and, and the Bible is holy and the Bible is, 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 is willing to paint people in a bad uh, uh, picture, what it says is, is that don't do it, <laughs> right? We, we, we can't look at chapter 21 and say, well, you know, uh, David lied, should we lie? David stole the bread. Should we steal the bread? David didn't trust in God. We shouldn't trust in God. No. What the Bible describes isn't always what the Bible prescribes. They were, for, they were forbidden and punished and only forgiven when repented of. God never approves of sin ever. Do not mistake God's patience as his approval. 
Don't think that just because you've been able to walk down a path and you're still alive and that God hasn't struck you down that you can stand here and say, well, God must approve of how I'm living. God must approve of what I'm doing because I'm still here, aren't you? We serve a loving, gracious God that has given you free will. Do not ever think that because you have free will to do an action that God approves of that action. It's not biblical. God never approves of sin. He never approves of it, ever. The Bible says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness. If you are in unrepentant sin, God's love is not on you. God's wrath is on you. And it's not to say that God doesn't love you. God's love is His wrath because His wrath is getting you to turn away from your sins and turn towards Him in faith that you can experience the best life that God has for you. To be forgiven, to be set free, to live in His love. God loves you through his wrath. He says, turn away from that sin. Be forgiven of that sin. Come and live for me. Sometimes the punishments in the Bible aren't immediate, but eventually it's dealt with. Sin will always be dealt with. So you have a choice. Repent of it now and be forgiven, or, or in the future, you don't know what could happen. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't don't look at this story and for a moment think that God is a God that approves of sin. Don't believe that for one moment. And and again, I'm I'm saying it because I, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is convicting some of you this morning. If you are in sin, you need to repent of it. And it's not a, I'm going to ask for forgiveness and go back to keep doing it. It's a, I'm going to ask for forgiveness and not go back to it. That's what repentance is. Repentance is every week I come in. Repentance is not every week I come in and get drunk on the Jesus juice and then go back and live my life the way that it is. You, you come in and you be forgiven of it and you cast it away and you live for Jesus and you never go back to it. That's what repentance is. Here's what else this story tells us is that God can redeem anyone. Praise God. If I was you, I'd amen that. God can redeem anyone. God sees people as valuable, not dispensable. The Bible declares in Genesis 1.27 that you were created in God's image. God looked down and he said, I'm going to make somebody like me. He took Adam and he breathed his breath into Adam. From Adam, he made Eve. You were made in the image and likeness of God. God chose to create you and he loves you and he sees you as valuable. You are not dispensable to him. You are valuable to God. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what a manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. What a precious thing it is that God chooses to call us his children. We, don't, we are so undeserving. We, we have no right to be called his son or his daughter. But he looks at us and says, child, I love you. I can use you. I can redeem you. I can do something with your life. You are not your past. If David continues in this path of destruction, it will not end well for him. 
See, what, what we know the end of the story, but the, David's free will could have taken him anywhere. He, he could have ended up not becoming king of Israel. The, the next chapter could have been, well, David did it wrong and God was done with him and we went on to another king. Go read First and Second Kings, man. There's some kings that only got like a couple sentences. It, that guy's done. One guy, I think, only was a king for a couple weeks. I mean, God, God's fine with it, but he, but he said in this moment, you know what, I can, I can do something with this guy. I, there's something I can do with him. Here we are, 3,000 years later, talking about how God can use a man like David. Now, now, we have to admit that David had some really good attributes. He did a lot of good things, did he not? But salvation is not if you do more good than bad. That's not how salvation works. When you die and you stand before God, God doesn't lay all of your good things on one side of the scale and lay all your bad things on the other side of the scale and try to balance them out. He's like, well, looks like 51.49, you made the cut. That's not, that's not what the Bible says at all. The, the, the most scandalous thing about Christianity, which frankly, sometimes I have a hard time understanding or agreeing with, but it says it, so I believe it is that you can live a 99.9% horrible, despicable, sinful life for decades. Like you can live that way until you're 70, 80, 90 years old, and you can lay in your deathbed and right at that moment call out to God in faith and say, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? And that guy gets the exact same inheritance as someone who got baptized at five years old and lived a holy life. It makes no sense to me. None at all. But I didn't write the Bible, I just preach it. The flip side of that is, is that you cannot live a 99.9% perfect life and have a little 0.1% of sin and God looks at you and says, eh, mostly good. We'll just forgive this part. The 99.9% guy is in danger of the pit fires of hell just as much as the 0.1% guy is in danger of the pitfires of hell. But God can redeem the 99.9% man as much as he can redeem the, the 99.9% good man. God is a God of redemption, but the only redemption that happens is through total and complete surrender and repentance of faith unto Jesus Christ for him to wash you of your sins and set you free from the law of sin and death. But in a human sense, why do we ostracize a man for indiscretions that given the same circumstance we may have fell into? Why do we do that? Why, why, why do we look at somebody and say, you know, this guy's lived a really good life and then he has a really bad chapter and we're like, well, let's throw that guy away. When given the same circumstances, you probably would have done the same thing. If not in action, but in your heart. It's the reason why Jesus talks so much about the heart is because we pass judgment on people. Say, I can't believe that he did that. But inside of your heart, you're like, man, I probably would have done that too. I'll tell you, man, I probably would have lied. I would have ate the bread. I would have took the sword. I would have went down the enemy and I would have been a drooling madman. I would have done all of it. Why? Because I know my propensity for sin. I know my ability to, to, to wallow in the filth of the pigs and lay on the dung heap. I know that about myself. So when I look at a man like David, I don't think like, man, that would never be me. I'm like, man, I would have done worse. I know that. 
The Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, and he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Folks, this is a great encouragement to anyone that has followed, that has fallen into sin. God can still use you. If you've ever fallen into sin, I don't care how grievous it may be, we serve a God of redemption that can use you for his glory. Isolated moments of transgression do not equal disqualification for your whole life if you repent of your sins. Don't believe that lie, church. Please don't. We, we've, all, we've all had bad weekends. No one? Just me? You know, I say those type of things, and then you guys are like that sad, sad man. I'll throw myself on the coals. You guys sit on your spiritual high horses of pride. Read, read Psalm 51 sometime, man. Go, go, go read Psalm 51 and see the heart of David that realized that, that somebody can be forgiven. Look at the sorrow that was in David's mind and his heart as he repented before God. Yeah. Isaiah 49, 15, God said this to na- the nation of Israel whom he had divorced. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. God has not forgot you. He has not forgot you. He has not cast you away. He he does not consider you refuse. If you're here this morning under the sound of my voice, God loves you and he wants to redeem you and he wants to set you free. He can use you for great things. Paul was sorrowful in the New Testament. He was sorrowful. He realized what he had done. He went and he started converting people. Peter was sorrowful. He went and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can use the redeemed to do great things. They turned it around. Now what should this scripture have on your life? What effect should it have? It's really quite simple. Folks, you should watch to not become a cautionary tale. Like it's, it, this is a great story that God can turn somebody around, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be easier if you didn't have to be a cautionary tale? Yeah. I, wouldn't it be easier if you didn't? Like people say, well, I, I want to have a testimony, and testimonies are great, but a better testimony is, man, just God saved me. You know, uh, Crystal and I talked to our kids, and my kids have had a great life being raised by Crystal and I. Crystal and I had crooked roads coming to Jesus. And sometimes my kids, they'll say to us, like, like what's my testimony? Like your testimony is that God planted you in a godly family, that he redeemed you early on and he protected you from sin and you didn't have to experience that. And then I don't know anybody who's fallen into sin that would look at somebody that didn't have to go through that to come to Christ and say, well, you should have had a better testimony than that. They're like, no, don't. You don't need to go there. Like there's nothing for you there. You don't need your life to be a cautionary tale. The Bible says, let, 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 therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Yeah. Don't let our lives be a cautionary tale. Yeah. It's great that God redeemed David, but isn't a better story that God didn't have to rescue you? Amen. Live your life in such a way that you don't have to constantly be coming back to God repenting. Yeah. Constantly yeah. coming back and like, God, I know we've been dealing with this for years and months, but can you forgive me again? See, there becomes a point where you're going to stop repenting. There's a, you're going to become stiff-necked and you're going, to, you're going to harden your heart and your mind's going to be seared. 
Watch how you live, man. Stay away from sin. Be, be drastic about it. Make clear what you will not do. Lose friends. Uh, get rid of stuff in your life. Do whatever you need to do to get rid of the sin in your life. Be drastic about it. Don't be a cautionary tale. But also, you have to believe that you can be restored. Isaiah 61, 7, Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. Praise God. I I love Joel 2. Put up Joel 2, uh, 25, 26. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to, put to shame. Some of you have a life that the locusts have destroyed, that, that they've come in and they've chewed up what you thought was going to be your future and God wants to restore that today in Jesus' name. He wants to set you free from the law of sin and death. He wants to restore you to a place where he can hold you up as the shining example of his faithfulness to say, I can restore anyone. God can and will restore anyone who repents. He restored David. He can restore you. David the liar with unbelief who sleeps with the enemy and acts like a madman. That guy. And if God can restore him, then he can restore you. Amen. And lastly, look to Jesus as the perfect example. That's really the whole story of this. The whole story is that there is no earthly king that will ever be good enough. Ever. David didn't even know it, but he was preaching the gospel. He was saying to everybody, you know what, guys? You're putting faith in a man, and one day I'm going to be dead and gone, and you're going to put your faith in Jesus. You're going to put your faith in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only one that can redeem. I am a flawed man. Do not put your faith in me. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2 says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you're looking for anyone besides Jesus as the perfect example, you will be let down. Don't look at Abraham. Don't look at Moses, David, Peter, Paul. Don't look at your parents, a friend, a pastor, a ministry. No one as the perfect example. Only look to Jesus. Only look to Jesus because only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can redeem. Only Jesus can set free. David became a fool to save himself. Will you become a fool for Jesus Christ? Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Now this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. And it's really quite easy. Either you are a Christian or you are not a Christian. Either you've given your life to Jesus or you have not given your life to Jesus. And if you've never given your heart to God, if you've never, never walked that road of salvation and said, I want to be a Christian. Now, becoming a Christian, it's not a superstitious prayer. It's saying, I'm going to turn away from my sins and I'm going to turn towards Jesus and be redeemed. I'm going to leave that life of sin and I'm going to live for Jesus. And if you've never made that decision before, but as you're sitting here this morning, you'd say, do you know what, pastor? I want to, I want to live for Jesus. I want to give my life to him. 
and you've never made that determination before, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time? Hand held high. Now, maybe you've been far away from God. And when I say far away from God, and you're going to hear me say this a lot, church, because I've been convicted that there's people that come to God and they've been far from him and they want to come back and they don't know how to come back. And so I want to to open up the altars for those people that would say, you know what, Pastor, I've known the truth from the time I was a child and I've turned away from him. I've I've turned away from him and and I've lived in a way that was not of God and I'm I'm ready to come back. And again, not an act of superstition, but, but a direction change in your life that you would say, I want, to be, I want to be back with Jesus. If you need to make that declaration today, I want you to raise your hand today and say, I'm ready to come back to the Lord. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the, very, for, for, the third, for the first time in a long time? I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise God. Is there anybody else? I see that hand. I want you to, uh, for those of you that raised your hand, church, would you stand with me this morning? Church, stand up. Would you close your eyes? Keep your heads bowed. If you raised your hand this morning, I want to invite you to walk to the front this morning and have somebody pray with you. I know it seems odd to walk to the front of a room of people that you don't know, but you're full of a bunch of people that love Jesus, that have been redeemed, that have been restored, that want to love you. And I want to invite you to walk forward and have somebody pray with you this morning. Have somebody pray with you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Jay. Thank you, Jesus. We serve a God that redeems. We serve a God that sets free. We serve a God that sets free. Would you just stay in a, in a moment of prayer for just a moment? I do, I do want to include, because I know that people watch online, and this, uh, this sermon will be re- recorded later. If you've watched this message, you need to come back to God right where you're at. I want you to give your life to him. Ask for forgiveness in Jesus' name and it will will be yours. God, we thank you for this word today, Lord. We pray that you could use all of us, Lord, for your will, for your glory. God, as, as, as you redeemed David, redeem us. Father, as you redeemed all these people in the Bible, God, graciously submit to your will this morning, Father. Submit to your grace. Submit to your mercy. If there's something you need to repent to God to this morning, would you just do that this morning quietly? He's a deliverer. He's a restorer. He's a forgiver. Praise you. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for the time that you give us, that that you want to have a relationship with us, that you love us, that you value us. We just thank you so much for all of this. We ask you to guide us through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.